When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of the Cherries Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, host, sports manager at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And joining me, as he does every week, Mr. Cherry Pluto, award-winning columnist, Ohio Sports Writer of the Year, many times over. Terry, how are you? I am doing well. Good, good. Um, hey, we should uh, talk about your book appearance. It's coming up at the Rodman Library and Alliance. It's a week from tonight. We're taping this on Tuesday, June 20th. The appearance is a week from tonight, Tuesday, June 27th at 6.30. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, it's at 6.30. And that, uh, yeah, you need to, uh, I would go to the Rodman Library website and you could find the link there to set it up. I'll I'll put it on the social media also, Twitter and Facebook. And I know that they want you to register. You could probably come out anyway. But it looks like it's going to be a pretty good crowd. So we have a lot of fun. Besides, it's free. You know, if you're anywhere around the Lions tomorrow night or Tuesday night at 630 uh, next week, there you go. All right. Yeah, I know you get some really strong turnout for those and people bring Terry Pluto books to sign and uh, all that. So it should be a good evening. Um, and real quick, Terry, we should mention that you do have your newsletter that people can sign up for. And that also is free. Uh, all you got to do for that is go to cleveland.com slash newsletters, and you can get everything that Terry writes in your inbox once a week. And, uh, again, that's free. So, all right, Terry. Well, a lot has changed since we started uh, – since we were talking about the Guardians last week. Uh, the roster, a lot of changes, and Mike Zanino has gone, and a lot of the things we've been talking about, Bo Naylor coming up, uh, really dramatic. And, and you look, and the Guardians are only two games out of – first place in the division behind the twins so a lot of change huh and they just called up gavin williams also uh their first round pick so uh, a recent first round pick and that is uh i'm glad to see that because if you're going to give innings in a starting rotation with people hurt was whether it was a guy's name Trusant, i mean don't do that give it to people that are you know part of your future you have logan allen and then you have tenor bobby and now uh Gavin Williams. We don't know what's going on with McKenzie. Uh, so, and we don't know how long Bieber will be here. So start developing that new rotation. They did this a few years ago uh, when in one year they called up uh, Aaron Savali and they called up Plesak and um, Bieber was part of that class. And they also had Adam Plutko. Uh, Plutko, by the way, is the toast of Korea. Remember when the KBO was on, uh, the mornings during and COVID. Been, during COVID, yeah. Yeah. I looked, I looked about a week or two ago. He was like seven and one with ERA under three. It's the second year there. So so good for Plutko, a guy I always liked, by the way. And so that's uh that was an update there. But how they, they, they brought in those three uh those three starters a few years ago and now they have three again because it shows how, you know, pitching is so fragile, guys get hurt or whatever it is, but let's take a look at him. Mean, Gavin Williams was throwing, averaging almost 97 miles an hour. Uh, he was uh, at Columbus 
he was three and two with a two nine three ERA, and uh, he had sixty one strikeouts in forty eight innings. Uh, his minor league career, which is very brief, I may add, it's you know one one plus seasons, much like Tanner Bivey, nine and six with a two ten ERA. 230 strikeouts, 175 innings. David, an interesting thing to me is in the past, uh, Cleveland did not rush up some of their top pitching prospects like they are now where uh, they're up there in less than two years. Now, other teams have done that, and I think you know some of it is need. And the other is just a discussion of can we develop them at the big league level? And so they're going to go for that. And I think, Terry, this that Williams is going to be the third top 100 pitching prospect that the Guardians have brought up this season. Um, am I, I, that's right, right? Yeah. Uh, Bybee. So, yep. Logan Allen and, uh, and Williams. Bybee. Well, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that, that really says something. And Chris Antonetti, he said that pretty much anybody in the Clippers rotation town in Columbus could come up and, and, and be thrown out there to start. Like, they feel good about all of them, which really, again, speaks to the Guardians' pitching development. I'm not sure right now because they're they have some guys that are now farther down the you know the valuation pool. But at the start of the season, you were right, and so I'm I'm anxious to see him. I was looking for a bat, by the way, in the minors, and a guy with power. I I know George Valera is just starting to play Columbus, and I have to admit I I have a little George Valera fatigue just because he gets hurt all the time. I mean, all the time. It's not quite Daniel Espinosa, but it's close. And so until he plays six, eight weeks, I'm really not going to talk about him. But an interesting player, a uh, guy I'm probably going to go look at, he's playing at Akron right now, is, is Jonathan Rodriguez. And he was a third-round pick back in 2017. He was only 17 years old out of Puerto Rico. And just sort of nothing much happened. In fact, in 2021, he had only seven homers. But last year, in 2022, he had 26 homers between A and AA. And now this year at uh, at Akron, uh, he's got a, a 11 homers and hit 269. So uh, I'm intrigued by that. And to see, because in AA, it's, it's very difficult to hit there. And maybe they, and they've got to find some outfitters with power. You know, they're kind of waiting on Oscar Gonzalez to get, to, uh, get hot. I've advocated for bringing up Oscar and sending down um, Gabriel Arias because at least you could platoon. Oscar has been hitting lefties. You could platoon him in the outfield with Brennan. Now, Brennan's played very well, but he still has some struggle against lefties. Besides, just it gives you another bat who's an outfitter. He can at least try it. So, Terry, going back to the pitching, I wanted to ask you, it's it's interesting how things happen. You see pitchers who can go two or three years after coming up and, and everything's smooth sailing. Tristan McKenzie now, his second injury of this season, the first one I think was a terrorist muscle, and now this is this elbow thing. Uh, we're, we're, we probably need to start thinking about this is kind of turning into a little bit of a lost season for Tristan McKenzie. It could, uh, and yeah. because you hate to hear anything in the elbow, and the fact is, all right, this is one of my biases, and I admit to it, but I really do not like high school pitchers taken high in the draft. It just seems like at some point they're going to have the Tommy John or whatever it is. And, you know, um, Tristan was taken in 2015, first round, 42nd overall is that uh, extra draft they have. And, for example, he missed all the 2019 season 
uh, because of some shoulder problems. And in 2020, um, you know, he, he came up uh, with Cleveland and pitched uh, some. Of course, that was a COVID year, but it's uh, they always have to be careful with, with him. And, you know, if I were them, I'm concerned. And I think the Gavin Williams thing indicates that they are concerned. Because right now, if you start redo the rotation, uh, you've got uh, you got Shane Bieber, and then you have Savali, and you never know how long that's going to last. And then you have the three kids. you got Logan Allen, and you've got Gavin Williams, and you have Bybee. At least that's my five. Now, you know, there may be somebody else you want to throw in there. you got McKenzie, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the DL. And you have, I forgot all about him. I kind of liked him, but he's, he's been out for quite a while. Peyton Battenfield, remember him? Mm-hmm. So you could ever, never have enough of them. Yeah, and they make great, uh, great trade prospects, too, down the road, too, when you need some bats. So mm-hmm. you're right. You can never have too many. So uh, there's kind of a big late push here by Jose Ramirez and Josh Naylor to get some all-star votes. I think the voting is closing pretty quickly here. But, Terry, Josh Naylor has – I remember beginning of the season, you could barely find a guardian who was batting over 225. Yeah. And now you look at Josh Naylor. He is really doing a lot of damage for this team uh, in 63 games, batting 288. On base percentage of 331. He's slugging 450. He's, I think, he's leading the American League in RBIs, right? At 53. Is that still hold? I'm trying to remember. It's close. Somebody's yeah, he's got, up there anyway got, with eight homers. 53 RBIs in how many games, David? 63 games. How about that? That's something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what are you seeing from Josh Naylor that has changed? More than I've ever thought, I would see. Not that you're not I was, just talking about stolen bases either. No, man, he did it the other night again. It's like, yep. yeah, can't help. The hockey player can't help himself. But uh, I just didn't think he was – he doesn't look like a disciplined hitter because the helmet goes flying in that, but he's becoming that. It also just shows you how strong he is. He can be uh, fooled. He's seemingly sw- swinging with one arm out and this off his front foot and ripping a double down the line anyway. I mean, he was a first-round pick once upon a time. The Guardians had him rated real high in on their draft board back then, and, and so he was one of the top guys they, they wanted in that trade for Clevenger. And whether he plays first base or DHs, you know, he still thinks he could play the outfield. I really don't want to see that, I, I admit it, not with the broken leg that he's had. But just a bat with some boom to it. You know, they desperately need it. And keep in mind, we talked about how Jose for a long time didn't have anybody buddy batting behind him. Well, he has Naylor now. But really, who's protecting Naylor? I don't think Josh Bell's scaring anybody yet. So that makes what Naylor's doing to me all the more impressive. Yeah, I love that quote from uh, Terry Francona, too. He says, you know that Naylor's swinging the right way if his helmet doesn't fly mm-hmm. off when he swings. But It really um, is. I was doing some poking around on fan graphs today, Terry, just to kind of dig inside Naylor a little bit. And, and this was interesting. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. He's swinging at more pitches than he has in his entire major league career, which I found really interesting. His swing percentage is 54.6%. So he's swinging at 54.6% of all pitches. That's the most in his career. I think 52.5 was before that. Um, and he's swinging at 74% 
of the pitches in the strike zone, which is also a career high. So he's seeing the ball, and when he knows it's a strike, he's swinging, you know, three out of four times. He's also swinging at a lot of pitches that are out of the zone too, um, 42.4%, which is also a career high, which I found really interesting. So he's he's going up there swinging, and he's making contact. Uh, he's making contact with the ball when it's in the strike zone 91.5% of the time, which is it's not a career high, but it's up there. And so I th- he's just swinging a lot and he's making a lot of contact and you're seeing the numbers jump. It's, it's really uh, something. Yeah. The old C ball hit ball. I mean, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's just fascinating to watch him develop. And that just, it's one of those, you know, baseball is the ultimate patient sport uh, demanding that because it's just so hard to play. You know, he's going to turn 26 on June 22nd, which is tomorrow. Yes. So happy birthday in advance to uh, Josh, who will be 27 tomorrow. And the reason I went and looked it up, because I was thinking he's still a fairly young player. And I remember when they traded for him, I was looking at some of the um, uh, scouting reports, and they said, oh, you know, he's fat, which was – He's actually lost weight from from when they got got him, and he has no position, and he kind of struggles against lefties. Of course, at the time, you know, he had hit like 314 in AAA, and overall, I mean, his minor league total, I mean, he's a 287 hitter, and power tends to come late. So this is exciting for me because they have to keep finding these guys of power because they just don't have them in the system. I mean, some people will say, what about John Kent? John Kenzie Noel, and I have a hard time kind of kind of grabbing on to him just because he has so many strikeouts. He's at AAA uh, uh, Columbus right now, and he's at like 190, and um, he's got 11 homers, 186, 11 homers, 34 RBIs. I mean, he may eventually turn into a power hitter, but these guys that strike out every three times or so in the minors, uh, it's, a, it's a concern to me, so... Uh, we will see, but at least they have Noel. I'm sorry, excuse me. At least they have um, they have uh, Naylor hitting well, and they've got uh, him and F starting to come around a little bit. So I gave you some bad uh, info, Terry. His birthday yeah. is two days from now oh, uh, on well. Thursday, not tomorrow. So sorry about that. <laughs> but the, uh, well, knowing so Josh, got- he could celebrate for two days. That's right. He has a good time with everything. Um, so yeah, the guardians were off yesterday, Monday, they're back at it today against Oakland. They have a three game set against the A's and then they have three against the Milwaukee Brewers all at home. They'll be home all week and it looks like a nice weather week. So, which is good for them because boy, how many guardians games have we seen? That's been rain or cold or whatever. So this seems like a good stretch for them. So anything else on the guardians, Terry? That was really about it. I'm fascinated to see uh, how Bo Naylor plays because we're now not allowed to complain about Mike Zanino anymore. Um, and I just think that uh, you have to just stay with him. But he doesn't have to play seven days a week. I've been getting, oh, he's got to play every day. No, he does not. And you want to play four or five times a week. He doesn't have to play seven. And the other thing is Cam Gallagher is really a good defensive catcher. I had all kinds of stats in the paper over the weekend um, about how I think he allowed only four wild pitches and no pass balls. And, you know, Zeno had, Zanino had a million in, in other areas. So, yeah, he can't hit, but he can catch. 
yeah, the old line, well, tell me one thing he does really well, and then he could figure out if he's got a role or not. And that was the problem with Zanino at the end. There was not a single thing he does well. I guess you could say he worked with pitchers well. They kind of say that because it's nebulous and it's hard to uh, to quantify. Uh, but I'm I'm anxious for it. You know, I remember talking to Naylor in the off season about because uh, Chris Antonetti had told me that Naylor had uh, was working on his uh, conversational Spanish, so he'd be able to really connect with pitchers. And I always thought that was a good sign too. Yeah, and they are gonna. They're not just gonna work him in slowly, like you said, Terry. They're they're yeah. planning on five games a week and have Gallagher catch the other ones, and, mm-hmm. and they're just gonna toss him in. He, yeah, and, and, go and for they it. have David Fry now. Uh, if people haven't uh, seen it. They need to look up. I wrote some stuff on Fry over the weekend as a catcher, and he just hasn't caught that many games. And he's like 120 games or something as a minor league catcher. He had like 25 pass balls. So it's not. He's just one of these guys that has you know, several different positions. I'm looking right now, you know, Bo Naylor is only 23. So just like his brother, it may take a while for the hitting to kick in. Uh, but the Naylor clan has got some real talent. Of course, uh, Miles, the youngest one, who I think is in this upcoming draft, uh, I had one executive tell me he might be the best of the whole bunch. So we'll see. Both number one picks. How about that? Both first round picks. And they were some high praise and boy, having three kids in the major leagues, if that ever happened, that would be mm-hmm. some story, some story. They have to make a 30 for 30 out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, a good right, one Terry. too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's take a break. We'll come back. Um, we got a really interesting, Hey Terry letter this week that I want to run past you. And it's a comparison of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland to another backcourt in the NBA. And I don't know the Cavs fans are going to like this comparison. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll get into that when we get back on Terry's talking. We're back on Terry's talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Um, hey, for anybody who's listening, we would love to hear from you. Send us your thoughts, comments, questions in an email. The easiest way to do it is send it to sports at cleveland.com and just put Terry's talking or Hey Terry in the subject line. We'll try and get it on. And Terry, I teased to this before we took a break here. We got a letter from David in Boston, Massachusetts. Not David Boston, the former receiver, but David in Boston. Mm -hmm. So I want to read this, and then I want to get your thoughts on it, right? I thought it was a very interesting take. So he says, Terry and David, thanks for the conversation in last week's podcast about the Cavs, Donovan Mitchell, and the P word, patience. I know that coming out of the most recent finals, one of the main themes discussed has been patience and how Denver's success demonstrates the value of patience in a league where it's commonly lacking. The Cavs are not in the same boat as the Nuggets and have to think more urgently and decisively about their next set of steps. The team with the trade for Donovan Mitchell demonstrated a lack of patience and a desire to win immediately by dumping a host of draft picks, a very promising big man with three-point shooting chops, a bench score, and a mature lottery pick with 3 and D promise for a player believed to be a difference maker and star. This trade compromised their future their bench and put them on the clock with a player on a timeline and a known desire to play in a larger market market who they now have to make happy to keep aside from future assets on the bench. The result on the court is a team that can win regular season games, but not compete in the playoffs. The backcourt is small and defensively challenged, forcing the big men to play out of position on defense. Perfection is demanded every night from Mobley and Allen and against playoff level competition. That is an unreasonable request. 
Despite his gaudy scoring, Mitchell is not a proven playoff winner, and his teams in Utah commonly underperformed in April. It's also telling that Mitchell blasted Utah and the fans after he left. What the Cavs have created is an Eastern Conference version of Damian Lillard and McCollum, a team that won a lot of regular season games but made it past the second round once in many attempts, rather than make more changes to try to prop up a faulty design and potentially move players that are actually invested in the team in the city. The solution seems clear to me. Trade Mitchell as soon as you can to get back as much lost value possible rather than doubling down on last year's gambit. The patience the Cavs should have shown was sticking with Markinen and convincing Sexton his value was scoring off the bench. That ship has sadly sailed. Now is the time to be decisive and act with conviction. Trade Donovan Mitchell. Love your show. Keep up the good work. And again, that's from David in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for all the thoughts there and the take, David. Terry, there's a lot there to unpack. Why don't you jump in? I don't think David is Donovan Mitchell's agent, is he? (laughs) Could be. All right. I want to say one thing. The blast blasted uh, the fans in Utah is not fair. He was asked on a talk show once about being an African-American in Utah. And he mentioned that this is also kind of not coming right out of the uh, a lot of the uh, social justice things that were going on. And he mentioned several times that he felt in Utah that he had been, you know, driving while black, you know, that type of thing. But he didn't get into, oh, Utah was terrible and all that. Secondly, uh, Mitchell did nothing in terms of his his attitude here was pretty close to exemplary. I mean, he, he showed up for all the voluntary things, everything else he wanted to do, he tried to fit in. So let's let's not – this is not Kyrie Irving. And I get when we get going on an email, we get all excited, I got this. On top of that, you know, he's a lousy guy. <laughs> and that's just not fair. It really isn't. So uh, now the other things, I've been concerned about the size in the backcourt. I want to see some more of it to play. But to bail out on one year on this to see how many draft picks you can get back for Donovan Mitchell, um, I'm not sure that is the smartest thing to do. Now, some people say, well, it's just not working. Now, had the Cavs gone 41 and 41, had it seemed that Mitchell and um, Darius Garland had like zero chemistry, that's a different story. I also will ask you exactly who did Portland have in some of those years in terms of big defenders such as Mobley and Allen playing together. They didn't have guys like that. Yeah, I mean, Myers Leonard maybe, but he yeah. you know, he had the troubles and, and, and left the team. And, yeah, there yeah. wasn't a lot. You're that right. That was our problem. They, they struggled for size defensively. And as frustrating as the Cavs were in the playoffs, I think they held the Knicks to like 97 points a game. I mean, Kobe – Altman mentioned this postseason, you know, the bigger problem was they couldn't score. Even though they got pounded on the boards, you would think when you get crushed on the boards, averaged by uh, rebounded by an average of eight per game in their losses, they'd at least been giving up more than 100 points in those games. Um, so, but the, the scoring was, was an issue. And look, I'm concerned. I, I really liked marketing. I was a big marketing supporter. I do wonder how good he would have been here with the other two big men because he just would not have gotten the shots um but you know some of the things in are affair they have to prove in one sense uh, that they are not lillard and uh, and mccollum because those guys did struggle defensively uh, they didn't have the, the backdrop of the cast but that's a very fair criticism 
The other thing is that these guys want to play somewhere else. It seems like two-thirds of the NBA always wants to play somewhere else. I'm very serious. No, it's true. They all want to play somewhere else. Um, And then they turn around and sign a max contract with their team. It will it will be interesting to see if they, what the Cavs do with Mitchell in terms of the max contract and these kind of decisions they have to make. But I I just want to see it again. I just do. And, and with adding some some shooters, uh, Abaje, I was sad they tossed him in the deal too. But I'll tell you, Danny Age made the same type of trade with um, Minnesota. Only for Gobert, only got four first-round picks instead of that. And actually, it's five because he got Minnesota's first-round pick. Uh, the name escapes me in the same way Abaji was the Cavs' first-round pick. And he was just piling up the assets and getting some players he liked. Um, there was a report out that Sexton's, you know, might be made available in a trade. You know, his contract's a little high, but that, that that's interesting. But I like a bigger guy who could score. Um I'll say it, it was a very thoughtful email. I, I just want to caution David from Boston. Oh, the next time, watch when you do attack a person's character. Uh, that's one of the things that I always do as a writer. Make sure that it isn't just one podcast or one thing somewhere. Because I have a feeling we all have our bad moments or things we wish we wouldn't say. You know, as I mentioned, now Kyrie Irving's got a real track record. I love the report. I just, and Kyrie's trying to get LeBron to go to <laughs> Dallas. I mean, you know, that'd be like saying, you know, somebody's trying to get David and Terry to grow hair. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> but David, overall, I give you a B on that one. So that's pretty good from a writer. Yeah, that was a good letter. Thing. It really gets, got us talking and thinking here. So, Terry, with the draft coming up on Thursday, the NBA draft, the Cavs, of course, don't have a first-round pick because of the mm-hmm. trade. Uh, going back to what you were just saying, like, you know, there's times when a team gets eliminated in a disappointing way from the playoffs, and you're like, all right, this isn't working. We're looking at the landscape of our conference. We can't match up. This is not that. You know, this is kind of like when you're in pickup and you lose and you're like, hey, well, we're going to run it back. We think we can beat you guys next time. Uh, it kind of feels like that. But there's talk that Chris Fedor has been hearing about the Cavs trying to trade up into the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you be in favor of that? Yeah, probably if they have a guy they like. Uh, Chris Fedor first reported it, and then uh, Brian Winhurst also came in behind that. And both of them are like, you know, our last couple NBA writers here at the Point Dior. And Brian was, in the beginning, he was a protege of mine. We wrote a couple books together on LeBron and that. And then later on, I, Brian and uh, Chris are people that I turn to for advice. So uh, they're on to something. They're very well connected. Uh, I'd be curious to see what they're going to do. I mean, a possibility would be you get that first round pick and you trade it. It becomes part of another deal. So one thing you know about Dan Gilbert, I think you could pay up to $5 million for a draft pick. Uh, they could throw that in there. Now, the team should not have a, a – well, you never know. You know, $5 million is $5 million. An interesting thing in the new the new uh, labor agreement that kicks in next month in July, teams have to spend – within 10% of like the uh, salary cap. In other words, suppose the salary cap is a hundred million just to make it equal. You got to have a payroll, at least 90 million because that's trying to knock out the tanking it. We're going to have a lower payroll. We're going to lose all this and and, and try to get a higher pick. Uh, They're, they're forcing you almost to, to, uh, 
to invest in bad contracts, some of these teams. Now, the Cavs may get involved in something like that, you know, where a team needs to – I mean, I think Chetty Osmond's options, like, for, for 7 or $8 million. At first I thought, well, maybe they'll let it go. But maybe not. They may pick it up and trade it to a team that um, needs uh, need salary cap needs money. salary cap, and you can have them run around and good Chetty and bad Chetty, and you can pick up some picks or something. And perhaps that's the other reason teams have been tossing around second-round picks like crazy, uh, that they sense something like that was coming. Boy, that is going to be a sea change, Terry. Yes. You're going to, I mean, I know the NFL has a thing like that where you have to have a certain – the cap, you have to be at a certain percentage of the maximum cap. I don't think it's 90, anywhere close to 90%. But mm-hmm. so many times you see teams like, oh, we got to dump cap. We have to dump cap. There might be trades, like you said, where teams that need to add cap to make sure they're above the floor, yep. which changes the dynamic of a lot of trades and opens up a lot of possibilities. I mean, some for- of these teams have so many first-round picks. I'd have to go back and look. And Oklahoma City has a bunch. You know, I've heard that uh, Portland has multiple picks and possibly they could be in play with Cleveland. Uh, so let's keep an eye on it. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to know, but I, I will say this too. I've always been annoyed at some teams and the Cavs have fallen into this, not only with Kobe Altman, with some others that kind of almost think second round picks are pointless. I mean, yeah, I'm, we're not talking about Jokic as a second round pick that, that I'm not going down that road, but for example, Danny Green was a second round pick and you could find other guys that are second round picks just as you could find guys in the G league. Um, and if you're a good organization, and this is where the Cavs, the next step has to be, is you need to develop some of your second-round picks and your G League guys. Because um, that's the thing when you look at uh, Dean Wade, who they had high hopes for, and he just fell apart at the end of the year. And then, you know, Chet, I don't know how much you could develop Chetty Osmond. I really don't because he just plays so schizophrenically. It's almost like a personality thing with him. Uh, I mean, basketball-wise, he's just so emotional up and down. Um, but you then you consider, too, that uh, uh, Isaac Okoro has just been such a struggle with him to to, to get his shooting together. Um, and I just – they haven't come up with that guy that comes out of nowhere and just helps you consistently. I, I by the way, you know, fans may be sick of this. I still think Lamar Stevens could help these guys if they ever just gave them regular playing time. I mean, Lamar Stevens might be a better bet than Isaac Okoro right now. That's an interesting statement, Terry. And, boy, we'll see what they look like coming back to camp. But, um, hey, I did want to point people to cleveland.com slash Cavs. You were talking about trying to find a four, like a backup mm-hmm. four and developing guys and and – Chris has a guy in there, Clemson's Hunter Tyson, mm-hmm. who he thinks is a pretty good fit for this roster and even says he has a little bit in common with Dean Wade. So uh, you might want to check out that story. On that might that, be a name to watch on Thursday night. He had night. a kid from Eastern Michigan. It escapes me at the moment. Um, Banami or something. And he had, he had started somewhere else and then transferred to Eastern Michigan. He had mentioned him too. Uh, we could look him up in a moment. But uh, – I saw a little bit of him, and I'm not uh, not let's say let's put it this way I'm not impressed. Um, so we're going to uh, we're going to go from there. But I'm I'm really you know I I just think that uh, I think the Cavs are pretty pretty sharp. All right, here we go. Does Amani it, this, Bates was who you're Amani talking Bates, about. Yeah, yeah. He, this just came in right now as we're talking. Uh, this is from the Guardians. Uh, is a clip from Cleveland Clinic. MRI and exam confirmed a sprain of the ulnar colloidal 
the the UCL ligament. Expected to be down throw down from throwing for several weeks. The club is still in the process um, of gathering more information. Here we go. Tristan is expected to get yet another opinion. That's too bad. Welcome, Gavin Williams. Bad. See, I figured something was up with that. So, yeah, what was the name of the kid from Eastern Michigan, David? I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. Uh, Imani Bates from yeah. Eastern Michigan. Yep. Yeah, I saw him. I, I if if the Cavs take him, I would check with my Mac people. But I, I saw part of a game. He's, I guess you could say, it was second round. He's raw. Well, they all are, et cetera, et cetera. So, hey, you know what? If you can find a second rounder who does one thing well, I mean, yes. the Cavs. Cav could have used a guy who could do one thing well from outside the three point line for mm-hmm. you know six, eight, nine minutes a game against the Knicks. That would have gone a long way. So you never know. You never know. Or they might package it with a veteran, move up and try and get into the first, like we were talking about. Yeah, so. that, I don't, I mean, it's a long shot, but you just, you just don't know. Uh, I, I think there'll be some weird stuff happening draft night. Yeah, but there, there certainly is reason to watch for Cavs fans, uh, it, whether they move up, stay, stay where they are. Uh, so that'll be Thursday night and always entertaining. And it'll be interesting to see who goes number two and three, among other Let's issues. Think about so. this, David. If you had a first round pick now, Dan Gilbert would give you $5 million for it. We should get one of those. We should invest. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So check out the draft on Thursday night and uh, we'll see what happens. So, all right, Terry, let's move on to the Browns. Uh, You kind of gave a fresh look to some of what Deshaun Watson was saying at minicamp last week. And and it kind of made you think of a few different things about what we can expect from him in 2023. We've seen what he's looked like so far during OTAs and minicamp, but you think that he said some really revealing things last week. I was glad that um, he looked at his season through, I think, some realistic eyes. And one of the things he mentioned was he talked about the speed of the game. And he said that it was faster than he thought. And I have a feeling it stayed faster all year. He had a good half here, maybe a good half there. Washington was the main good half. Although if you watch the first half of that Washington game, it looked like he never played football before. I, now I had somebody from the Browns tell me the receivers ran a couple of bad routes or whatever, but it was just sort of hard to believe that that just all changed at halftime in one game. Uh, I think, I think Deshaun was struggling. And then the other thing um, he mentioned too, is just that muscle memory you know he is an athletic quarterback now he's very good when he's on his best too at reading defenses i don't mean to imply this kid this this guy can't read defenses and know what to do but uh, a lot of his game is scrambling around finding a receiver and avoiding getting sacked that he just ran into a whole bunch of sacks too you could tell i thought he bailed out of the pocket really fast because he probably was feeling the speed of the game and he talked about all that. And I thought the most refreshing thing he said was, you know, I feel good about everything, all that stuff he said, but, you know, check with me after that first game against Cincinnati when they play for real. And so we'll see what, what you get out of that, but I was pleased to hear it. And I will say the couple times I saw him, he, he did look excellent. Now it's touch football, seven on seven, all that stuff. But, I have seen a lot of other Browns quarterbacks didn't look anywhere close to that good in those type of drills. I thought Deshaun last year, by the way, looked very good in those drills too. He looked even better this year. You know, the old saying, Terry, uh, I'm trying to remember who said it first, but pressure is what you feel when you're not prepared. 
Yeah. And I think we saw a lot of that last year. I think he wasn't familiar with the offense. It was his first season in it. He wasn't playing games and he, you know, he did, he left the pocket early. Sometimes he ran into some sacks. He wasn't sure of his reads and that this is going to be a different set of circumstances this year. And I think we are going to see a different guy. And, you know, it's such a cliche, Sports writers say it all the time. Oh, the game looks like it's not slowing down for him. But to hear to hear him say that, you must know that it really was a thing for him. And good for him because that will help him. And you could tell, here's a guy that when the Browns traded for him, it completed 67% of his passes in the NFL. He had the highest completion percentage of any NFL quarterback ever throwing at least 1,500 passes. And it wasn't always because he was checked on Charlie, as they call those quarterbacks, or just throw those three- to four-yard passes. I mean, he threw the ball downfield in Houston. And he had good players in Houston, but not great ones, not as good as here. So that talent is in him. Secondly, he's not sustained a major injury. And thirdly, uh, he's not that old. You know, we're not talking about a 35-year-old quarterback. So from when you check those boxes – he should be in position to have a good year. I have to admit, David, he is not my favorite flavor of quarterback. There's the way he scampers around there. I even remember watching him with Houston. I was thinking, man, this guy, he's just sort of all over the place back there. But he would throw, make complete these off-balance throws. Um, he's stronger than I thought physically. He's harder to bring down because um, he's got a, sort of the average size for a quarterback. But that guy, he's got, a, as they say, you know, a a really strong core. I mean, you, you got you got to nail him to, to tackle him, and so we will see. Meantime, I, I I've sent this to you, David. Who is your nomination for and sort of an unheralded Brown who could have maybe a maybe not a breakout Pro Bowl season, but a season to go? Wow, I didn't see that coming from that guy. That's a tough question. There's a lot of guys who they need to have that kind of season. I I'm gonna say. I think Denzel Ward. Well, thank God you didn't take my guy. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, you know, we talked about Denzel Ward's injury history and kind of he has like an all-pro game followed by one where he's kind of invisible. And mm-hmm. I think I think this Browns team knows that this is it. Like, if this thing's going to work, this season has to happen. And I think he's going to come in ready to show people something. I think he was he was ranked really low on Pro Football Focus's list of the top cornerbacks in the NFL and if he's not upset by that he should be and I I think he's going to come in he's not really you know everybody knows who Denzel Ward is but I think he hasn't really had a a breakout season the last couple of years it's been very inconsistent I think he's going to be or wants to be one of the best corners in the league and show people that this year but that's not your choice who did you pick no but on, on Ward if they allow him which they say they're going to do to play a lot of press man to man coverage that's what he's good at and that was one of the things I know that frustrated the front office about the Joe Woods uh, defense is they felt he didn't play to the strength. He called, I had one person lay it out to me because I always talk about, David, this is number three on my knowledge of, of the three big sports, that uh, Woods was married to this thing called the quarters uh, thing from San Francisco. And basically you divide the secondary up into four pieces, quarters, and you're guarding a, a chunk of grass. It's really when you want to come down to it. And when you had um, Elliot, or you, I'm sorry, excuse me, um, Mark uh, Emerson, and you Mark had Emerson. Uh, Newsom, and you had Ward, they were drafted for their ability to defend people one and one. 
And then you ended up with your quarters with people looking and pointing at each other. So you didn't uh, guard your blades of grass. Yeah. You, yeah right? Well, you know, it's like pass this guy off to that guy. And I understand there's reasons to play zone. And I'm, I'm, I'll let somebody else who knows a lot more about it. But my goodness, when you have blown coverages, at least, you know, when you're man to man, you know who blew it. And I think that's important. Accountability is important. Well, it's just like in basketball, Terry, right? If yes. you're in a zone defense, like who's supposed to be boxing that guy out? Oh, it should have been you. It should have been you. And when you're manned up, it, there's your guy. Don't let him get to the basket. Don't let him get the rebound and keep him out of the paint. I love like the it's how, same thing in football. Now, now I feel better talking about this. So I'm watching the <laughs> finals, okay? And Miami does have a heck of a zone. It's really good. But there's that spot between about 11 feet and 16 feet, right smack dab in the middle of the zone. Of course, that's where the analytics guys hate you to shoot from. The problem is this. The Joker's great. So he's just standing in there and going, you want me to make sh- shoot free throws this whole time? I'll do that, and I'll shatter your zone, and I'll pass it to guys underneath. And what are you going to do about it other than go back to man-to-man? But to your point is – they had trouble, you know, they couldn't figure out who to, who to defend him with either. But when they just let him, basically they were guarding pieces of wood on the floor in different areas. And this easy area would be just like in the zone, the easy area to catch these passes for 8 to 12 yards were these easy area for him to make a 10 to 12-foot shot. And it's only two points. And as the joker knows, remember this, one of my favorite things. Yes, three points are better than two, but two points are better than David. And none. There you go. So, and they just, sometimes the Joker toot him to death. It's a good t-shirt there, Terry. Threes are better than two, but two is better than none. Yeah. You should start selling those. It's just um, like those passes. Now, do you want my guy? Yes, I do. All right. Along those lines is Donovan Peoples-Jones. And people say that, but, you know, all the attention has been on Amari Cooper and on Elijah Moore and to maybe, you know, a good one or something. But I just think that each year Jones has been getting better. And we've even seen him being effective some as a return man. Um, he's smart. He's big. He fights for the ball. Uh, and I believe that he will with, uh, especially if Watson gets his mojo going, uh, he could be very important to them. And Terry, you know, a lot of people might not remember this, but he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school Mm -hmm. and maybe in the top three receivers in the country and Michigan didn't use him right. I mean, this guy has incredible athletic talent. He also was an honor honor student and like really good in science and things like that. Now, if that was the case, everybody could just recruit the honors honors physics and science classes and put him on the NFL field. But nonetheless, you talk to any coach, a guy with that sort of background, analytical mind, they love it. Remember right away with, with uh, DPJ, they were saying, he's grasped the playbook. He's learning this stuff. Uh, it helps. It certainly helps. All right. Good one, Terry. Thanks for that. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the kind of thing hanging out there for Browns fans right now is like, oh, my gosh, they don't have a backup running back. What if, you know, what if they need someone? And mm-hmm. that's going to play itself out, I think. But Ezekiel Elliott is still out there. Kareem Hunt is not signed. This might happen in August, right? I mean, what do you see happening with those two guys, and should the Browns move on either one of them, or do you think just wait? Well, I wouldn't bring back a Kareem at this point because I, I just think he may still be a value to someone else, but it's like 
they always say sometimes it's better you'll change the scenery. What do you think of Elliott? Because I've not studied him of late. I don't think he was even the best running back on his team the last couple of seasons, and I think his best days are behind him. And I think you write you wrote about this over the weekend, Terry. Sometimes the name is bigger than the yes. player, mm-hmm. and I think that's the case with Ezekiel Elliott. I don't he's going to want a lot of money, and I don't think it's worth it. At least not right now. Maybe around camp cuts. Um, if he's still out there, you could take a look at him. The market might be a little bit softer, but I don't know. What do you think? I'm not interested. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather rummage sale around, see who else is there. Um, the Jerome Ford is his time. There's a kid that they um, signed from, I believe it's Georgia Tech, undrafted, that, that I am intrigued to see, and I'm going to look his up name up as we are talking. That, that just came to me now. Um, and, you know, they're, they're liable to cut somebody, too. Um, uh, I don't mean the Browns, but just somebody else uh, that becomes available. The nice thing, as you mentioned, about uh, they might consign somebody in, uh, in they could sign somebody later on, you know, right before the season, is they always say with running backs, it isn't that hard uh, to put them in there and have them do something. So, uh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm intrigued uh, by uh, Jerome Ford, and I, I want to see just you know some of these other guys and what they can do. Um, not Demetric Felton, I've seen enough of him. John Kelly is one. They've had him around for quite a while, and another guy that I know they liked, uh, Hassan Hall. I believe his last stop was Georgia Tech. So those are guys. By the way, we'll see a lot of Kelly and Hall. Uh, in these preseason games, and you may we may find that there's. I mean, remember who the heck was Demi, um, uh Johnson, Dearness Johnson? But I remember he could start getting the game, and I started going, "Who is Dearness Johnson?" You know, <laughs> you're seeing that, and I still now I would have kept him, David. I think he only signed for a million and a half. And it's not even fully guaranteed with Jacksonville. They go, well, he doesn't catch passes. That I don't care. I mean, you're talking about a backup running back. I mean, what is Demi- now, to our point, what does Demetric Felton do well? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's, I don't mean he that. Moves, like, he, he knows all the different positions, but he hasn't made an impact yeah, anywhere. Yeah. Whereas he doesn't stand out. We've seen when Dearness Johnson was given a chance, he could run for 100 yards. And he was doing with Baker Mayfield. And this offensive line is one of the top five lines in the league. And- mm-hmm. You know, that line is going to make some yards on their own. So, But, yeah, they had two other yeah. guys. That they li- I like John Kelly. He played some in the preseason. He's from Tennessee. And then uh, I I have not seen anything. By the way, trying to judge a running back and that stuff in the spring. I mean, it's Good like we're judging that. a running back and playing <laughs> football. I mean, I don't yep. know. Well, he looks a little fast. Forget it. That means nothing. And, and that was just like when they talked to Jim Schwartz about his defensive line. He goes, I couldn't tell much in this, you know, because we know where they're lining up, where they're supposed to go, but he goes, we're not hitting anybody. Well, they will be hitting each other in about a month, Terry, maybe less. They're going to start in West Virginia. So that'll be coming up here in a few weeks. And, and I, uh, we will will know there, I will be there at the Greenbrier, I'm not staying at the Greenbrier, I may add, but I will be at the Greenbrier for at least the first three days. And I want Mary Kay's down there the whole way. And we'll have other, other reinforcements coming in. Yep, it'll be in it. And they head to Philly for some joint practices later in preseason. So a lot, lot coming up very quickly here. So, all right, Terry, we're running a little bit late here. Um, we got a couple of good Hey Terry letters I want to read real quick. Again, if you want to send a comment, question, criticism, send it to sports at cleveland.com. Put Terry's talking in the subject line. 
This one comes from Rick Stoltz. And he says, hey, Terry, I loved your article on League Park over the weekend. A 96 grad myself of Benedictine, I have the pleasure of coaching baseball at Benedictine and playing a handful of games at League Park each year. My son Jackson will be a junior this upcoming season, his third year on varsity. He absolutely loves playing center field at League Park. Hopefully we can make a run next year. Just wanted to let you know that myself, my dad, uncle, and brother all love the article and we're talking about yesterday, talking about it yesterday at my dad's house for Father's Day. And he says, go Bengals. And he means the Benedictine Bengals, not the Cincinnati Bengals. So, uh, yeah, Terry, your story about League Park, I was just there a few weeks ago. If you haven't been and you're oh. in Cleveland, it's it's easy to get to. They have a little museum there. It's really just a treat, a great way to spend a few hours, right? Yeah, go to the – check out the Baseball Heritage Museum. The the, the um, website will tell you because I think it's just open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But it, it is worth going. But I was watching a game there when I just went out the idea I had for Father's Day. and. Uh, I think it was Bay Village was playing. It looked like a team of kind of top uh, high school kids from Cleveland. It was called the Cleveland Buckeyes. And I watched three or four innings of it, and it was well played. And it was just such a nice night. And you're going out there, that big screen in right field that, you know, 290 feet away. And uh, I guess some people say, well, they should have just kind of maybe restored it, but not really make it something that kids could play on. I just think the opposite. That part, by the way, the Huff area is continuing to be revitalized. And once upon a time, I uh, the school is gone. It's called John Raper Elementary. I believe it was on 73rd and Huff. I, uh, When I was a sophomore, I tutored that whole year math at John Raper Elementary. So I'm very familiar with Benedictine, that whole east side area. And that neighborhood's had a real transformation. Go for it. It's great to see. Yeah, that was where I think from when I was at the museum, that's where Babe Ruth hit his 500th home run. Yeah, and if Hal I remember correctly, and, and they Hal, have the 496th home run ball in the museum that you mm-hmm. can look at. And Hal which Lee is really cool. Sold Babe a hot. Well, basically, he gave Babe a hot a hot dog. I guess it was a game that Gabe left uh, Babe left early and was sitting down like at some bench out there. And Hal was <laughs> a young the great professor was a young. Uh, Hot dog vendor and Babe came by and was going to pay him later, but never did. But that is some story. Wow. All right. Thanks for that letter, Rick. Um, and we got one more here. This one is from Ron D, who lives in Colorado. He says, hey, Terry, I really liked your article today with the nobody asked me, but okay. lead-ins. So here are my responses in like manner. Yes. Nobody asked me, but you are one of my all-time favorites. I remember well enjoying Chuck Heaton's columns as well as the great Hal Lebovitz. Nobody asked me, but dot, dot, dot. Jose Ramirez is a true throwback to players of yesteryear. He plays the game like they did 50 years ago. He could have played at League Park in the old days. (laughs) That's right. And he says, as you aptly pointed out, he's not full of himself in his brand like so many of today's players. And finally, nobody asked me, but dot, dot, dot. I hope you might do this. Nobody asked me, but again, every once in a while, it's a neat way to honor the memory of Jimmy Cannon and his talented work from many decades ago. And he says, blessings. And again, that's from Ron D from Colorado. So uh, there you go, Terry, an old tribute to old sports writer, Jimmy Cannon. And uh, it seems like that was really well received that column. Yeah. I was really waiting for the, nobody asked me, but that was a really stupid column you wrote. I, <laughs> I didn't get that email. That's so that, was, that was, yeah, was coming and probably will now, but uh, well, you're the boss there. So we could, uh, we'll probably will revisit it because it, Sort of a a, a a weekend when I really don't have a coherent thought on one subject. <laughs> it is addicting, though, just like you find that. You know, nobody asked me because, you know, uh, 
Cannon would write things like, nobody asked me, but pizza's not pizza unless there's pepperoni on it. <laughs> not just sports. It was everything that everything you, you just on. felt like you could tell. They would say it's a throwaway column, but if you do it with a little bit of style and fun, it uh, it plays well. Yeah, and they, it seems like they just kind of trail one after another once you get going. Yeah. On them. It's a really fun way to write. So, Well, thanks for those letters again, and uh, we'd love to hear more from you, so send us an email. So, All right, Terry, do you have a book recommendation for this week before we wrap up? Yes, because it's coming up on the 160th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, July 2, 3, and 4. Wow. So that's coming up soon. Hint, hint, there just might be a faith slash civil war column coming up on that. And um, the book, I haven't read it for over 30 years. I'm real reading, rereading it now. It's the classic. It's the Killer Angels uh, by Shahara. You know, Michael Shahara and then his son, Jeff. And it is, if you, even if you read it before, it is worth reading it. Because I think that a really good historical novel just re- makes history just uh, – jump off the page. Uh, I forgot how much of it is told from the Southern perspective and the debates between Lee and, and Longstreet. But I, you don't have to be a big Civil War uh, fanatic to enjoy the book. There's some other good ones. Uh, there's a guy named Ralph Peters wrote one, I believe it's called Kane at Gettysburg. That's a good one. And uh, this is really hard to find, but a friend of mine used to work at the old Cleveland Press and playing dealer Don Robertson wrote one about Gettysburg called The Three Days. So there's a lot out there, but I think Shahara's is really worth checking out, even if you've read it before. Yeah, and, you know, we've uh, there used to be an old column, uh, One Tank Trips, that you could uh-huh. take from Cleveland. That's a great one tank trip. I haven't been to Gettysburg in, geez, 20 years. Uh, yeah. I probably should head back. Cause yeah. I would it, not a, go that first week in July because it's going to be crazy, but go some yeah. other time. Yeah. Good stuff, Terry. Um, I think we're good, right? Yes. All right. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be, boy, into NFL before we know it. And the Guardians do have that homestand this week. So there should be some good baseball against the uh, Las Vegas A's. Yeah. I'm going to start early. They're going to be moving soon. So thanks again, everybody. We will catch you next week on Terry's Talking.